Well, kia ora, hello and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. Good morning. Hey. Um, Isn't it awesome to have Matt back? How cool is that? We so appreciate you being here, even though you're probably a tiny bit jet lagged. <laughs> um, as mentioned, I work with Robin, overseeing the primary area, so I'm used to doing this in front of 40 kids. This is a little bit different. I'm a little bit more nervous, <laughs> but it's, it's so much fun and an absolute privilege to work with your kids. Um, we've been part of Coast Vineyard for about well, three, almost four years, I think. I'm married to Bryce, the very good-looking tall man there, um, and he was supposed to be serving in Coasties, so I'm a bit nervous he's going to heckle me, but... Um, <laughs> He's very relieved I'm doing this because um, he swears this Doctor Strange-esque grey streak on one side is from me preaching to him (laughs) as I process my day every evening. So we have three gorgeous kids. Caleb's 12, um, Zara's 9, and Adele is 6 on Wednesday, as she likes to remind us. Um, Now this morning I thought I'd do a bit of a flying run-through of my testimony, really fast. Um, But mostly I want to talk about taking courage, jumping off of 1 Samuel 30 verses 1 to 6 and the story of David at Ziklag. But, so, I'm at least third-generation Christian. So I stand on the shoulders of giants. My pop was actually an Anglican lay minister and um, loved a great discussion of theology and eschatology. Um, I've grown up in church then, Baptist, born and bred, Northcote Baptist. Um, Most of you know my parents, actually, Brian and Nikki Alley. They're visiting today. Um, my mum works as a TA at Kingsway and has done for like 19 years. Um, I kind of joke that, that um, they're not unlike Santa and Mrs. Claus. Uh, my dad literally makes wooden toys in his shed. Um, so, um, but they are two of the kindest, most generous, most loving Jesus followers and people lovers that you'll ever find. Um, so I've been surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses in the flesh um, my whole life. Um, when I was seven, I remember distinctly um, looking up into the night sky and kind of freaking out as you do, like getting that weird feeling of like, I am so tiny and the universe is so big and I so need God. So that's my salvation experience. Um, I <clears throat> Fast forward to 11, after a couple of years of praying and fasting, my parents decided to take us on a God adventure. Um, and what an adventure it was. We moved to the Philippines as missionaries, um, where we experienced typhoons, well, earthquakes, uh, volcanic eruptions. We had bombs going off a few minutes after we left malls and snakes. Um, I'm trying to think what else now. It was pretty full on, but all the fun of living in Southeast Asia. Um, I went to an international school, Faith Academy, run by missionaries for the kids of missionaries, and my parents were actually dorm parents, so we basically lived in a youth group sort of environment. There were 12, 13 to 18-year-olds that lived in our house with us nine months of the year, and they went home Christmas and summer to see their parents, where their parents were working in far-flung places all over Southeast Asia. So that explains the weird accent. Lots of people ask me. That's, the, <coughs> that's where I got it from. Um, I went, came back to New Zealand by myself for uni um, and got stuck into 
every single Christian group on campus. I did student life, evangelical union, and our church group. So uni was filled with Bible studies, prayer meetings, discipleship meetings, and even Bible college. Bryce and I have done a two-year certificate in Christian studies. Um, I also ran an international ministry because, even though you can't tell to look at me, the people who are far from home and outside their culture were my kind of people. Um, So we... I came out of uni with a conjoint degree in BABSC and a wealth of discipleship training. Um, We met, I married Bryce, and we ended up on a church plant in Sydney that um, fell apart a couple of days before we arrived. Long story. Um, We had our kids in Brisbane, actually, where we lived and worked for a while, and then came back for family reinforcements after having two kids. Um, And that brings us back to New Zealand and to Auckland and then to Coast Vineyard. So that was the Facebook feed version. Obviously, I've skimmed over the mountains and the valleys, the deserts and the wilderness places, which brings me to where we find David in 1 Samuel 30. So, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now, the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they were on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Sorry, there was a typo in there, I realized. I've <laughs> watched the newbie. I've launched straight into the all-time low point of David's journey to becoming king. So let's back up and get some background information. Um, David had been anointed by the prophet Samuel as the next king of Israel after Saul, and God had rejected Saul as king because of his unfaithfulness. And the prophet Samuel <clears throat> was sent to the house of Jesse to anoint the one God had chosen. Now, David was a really unlikely choice. Samuel himself preferred the older brothers, the account says. And this is where we get the verse, the Lord doesn't look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And always for God, your heart is key. The Ten Commandments themselves start with, where are your hearts at? David, however young and last in his own family, was frequently described as being a man after God's own heart and that the Lord was with him. We all know David is the one who killed Goliath, and he even lived and served in Saul's court before having to run for his life from Saul's jealousy. And this is where we find him in Ziklag, years later, still in the wilderness, still waiting for the promise. I love David's story with all its highs and lows and drama, because like all the patriarchs of the Old Testament, he's so incredibly relatable, right? He starts out young, unknown, and faithful, with his heart in a position of worship, Although anointed as heir to the throne, there's nearly 15 years between the promise and when he actually becomes king, which is also fairly relatable. There's a lot of learning, growth, character development, mistakes, heartaches that happen in this period. Times when he trusts God and miraculous things happen, and times when he takes matters into his own hands and relies on his own ability to scheme his way through. And that's when this moment of time in Ziklag, his loyal and mighty men are brought low and tempted to stone him. It was, it was kind of David's fault. <laughs> if you read the preceding chapters, you see he, David didn't seek God. He, was, he lied and deceived and schemed, and he got himself into this position because he wasn't doing the right thing. We can all relate to that, and the wilderness living, the dry times, the cave dwelling, 
that David experienced in this time, especially after the last couple of years. So my question here today is, how exactly did he strengthen himself in the Lord? How do we? I certainly need that skill. The crazy thing is, doesn't say. <laughs> and this is what I've been wrestling with the last couple of weeks. If we ever needed to learn how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, it's now. So here are some things I've come up with so far. <clears throat> Enthrone. The first and most important thing we must settle in our hearts is who is God? I feel like I don't even need to talk about this because of the worship songs this morning were just so awesome. They kind of did my job for me. Um, and it's so cool that the Holy Spirit is sort of on there as well because I've been away and I didn't even realize what songs they were doing and they're just so perfect for what we're talking about. So I feel like sometimes we start with the wrong end of faith. Sometimes we, we focus so much on all the bad stuff and the problems and while we need an accurate sense of our sin to really appreciate salvation, it's in the wide open spaces of God's presence that we can really catch sight of the beauty of what life is meant to be. So like in the abundance of creation, our souls can soar in generosity. In the beauty and passion of life, we get glimpses of the wonder and joy, the echoes of heaven, and a God of infinite love, power, creativity, and glory. This, I reckon, is the true beginning of faith. The Bible frequently repeats the idea that the fear or the awe of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think it's the beginning of everything. <laughs> So let's first settle who we love and what it is that we really want. Jesus himself frequently posed these questions. Who do you say that I am? And even more often, what is it that you want? The grace of this posture is that we don't need to actually do anything except decide. We don't have to be anything except who we are in this moment. God just wants our hearts battle-weary, covered in the mire of this life, broken and wounded, or just distracted. Wherever we're at right now, <clears throat> he's calling us into his wide open spaces. He calls us to bend our knees and to worship like we sang this morning, to discover the height and breadth and depth of his passionate love for us. It's a constant refrain through, his, through scripture. Um, Isaiah 40 verses 28 to 31, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. There's something freeing that helps our spirits stretch out wide and soar when we worship God like this. I love the old hymn. I won't sing it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. <clears throat> so worship has to be the start of it all. In our worship, John Tyson writes in Beautiful Resistance, fantastic book, by the way, the Father is seen for who he is, and the soul is stirred. Christ is ascended in glory, and the heart rejoices. The Spirit is poured out, resulting in our transformation and empowerment to seek God more. Your heart will remain steadfast, your resistance patent, and your vision glorious. Repentance and worship become your rhythm and idols are resisted and replaced. When God's enthroned in his rightful place, everything else falls into place. David had this priority of a heart of worship, even if he'd forgotten. And in this moment at Ziglag, when everything around him crumbled, he remembered. Okay, so how does worship become our rhythm and our go-to? 
I think the key here is to engage. Um, we need to become intentional about making worship a way of life and not just something we do on a Sunday or a moment of grace at Easter camp or the last big conference we went to. That's all great. So I've got an experiment here. Imagine this is our spirits and this is the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Um, So the problem we often face is that we just dribble. We come to church on a Sunday And we just dribble the Holy Spirit into our lives. And we bubble and fizz for a minute, but it kind of fades away after a while. It's quite bubbly and fizzy. Um, I recently read this fantastic book called Habits of the Household by Justin Early Whitmill. And it talked about intentionally practicing spiritual disciplines with our kids and leading our households and practices and habits that reflect who God is and who we are as his people. Not unlike also Brother Lawrence's The Practice of the Presence of God. Um, Actually, Calvin Culverell's touched on this last week when he talks about how there's no divide between the sacred and the secular, the holy and the mundane. So I've been thinking and practicing how to invite the presence of God into every moment of everyday life, doing the laundry, driving, cooking, washing dishes. These cultural practices that we already do, how we rise in the morning, what the first thing is we do when we wake, how we spend our free time, how we work, where we go, what we think on, what we watch, look at, and listen to, these are all liturgies. They already are habit-forming, love-shaping rituals that get hold of our hearts and our loves in a certain direction. So what direction are our habits pointing us towards? I've only recently discovered these ideas of rule of life and spiritual disciplines, and many of them I've tried, and I've even been a bit committed to, and I've dripped them in, but to make them actual habits over time is another challenge entirely. These practices, if you prefer that term, are just ways that we actively engage our whole bodies in the things of God. They aren't magic in and of themselves, fasting or celebrating or Sabbath rest or lament or practicing silence and solitude isn't the thing that's going to change you, but they put you in a place to make your wide open to the things of God. They're ways to unhurry our souls before God. Things to do with our bodies that point our hearts in the right direction. It's so simple, but it's not always easy. We're bombarded by our culture on one hand, and our flesh definitely prefers comfort and convenience and the dopamine hit of media um, instead of worship. An example of this is a family. We're talking about how we need to discipline ourselves to be still and quiet, um, particularly essential in our noisy, distracted culture, um, in order to make space for God to speak. So we tried this with my kids, (laughs) the discipline of silence. I put the timer on for two minutes, and we just sat there and meditated on who God is. It was hilariously difficult for one of my children. And if you know them, you probably guess who. Um, This child sat with white knuckles gripping the chair, gritted teeth, and she was barely suppressed vibrating for the whole two minutes. For me, as an introvert, it was a touch of heaven. For her... It was an artificial, it was absolutely sacrificial act of worship. So all that to say, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but it's worth it. I love this quote from Thomas R. Kelly. The life that intends to be wholly obedient, wholly submissive, wholly listening is astonishing in its completeness. Its joys are ravishing, its peace profound, its humanity the deepest, its power world-shaking. It's love enveloping, it's simplicity, that of a trusting child. 
That's a huge vision of the flourishing life. Um, and the Westminster Catechism actually says, <coughs> I can't say that word, um, the glory, um, what, is, what is man's role? And it's to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So it's not a job, it's just a joy. Um, the, big, the key word in this quote that I just said is intends. We just have to be intentional about how we do what we're already doing. Why and with what posture? Most of us live hasty, distracted, prayerless, and dry, and we really don't need to. Moses, often described as a friend of God, knew just how much we needed the presence of God too. In Exodus 33:15, Moses said to him, God, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? This is crazy. Wait a sec, Moses. Aside from circumcision, food falling from heaven, the seas parting and and letting you through and then covering your enemies, apart from the Ten Commandments burned into stone by the very hand of God, Sabbath, tabernacle, priests, and sacrifices, Moses knew that even with all that, without the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, These would just be cultural trappings without meaning or power. We have loads of examples of saints through the ages who caught sight of this flourishing life, um, whereby all the doings and our days become acts of worship. I love this quote from Eric Liddell of Chariots of Fire fame. (laughs) He's a cool guy. Um, He understood, too, the necessity of what it means to be fully in the presence of God. He says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. If you look at him, even his posture when he runs shows that he feels the pleasure of God on his face um, as he's doing the thing that God made him to do. And so Brother Lawrence graciously states, it's not needful always to be in church to be with God. We make a chapel of our hearts to which we can from time to time withdraw and have gentle, humble, loving communion with him. Let us make a start. Perhaps he only waits for us to make one wholehearted resolve, courage. And so we take baby steps. We make a start and create practices to daily engage with the presence of God, spiritual disciplines. We know this, reading our Bibles, prayer, but also meditation, fasting, study, simplicity, solitude, Sabbath, service, confession, celebration, there's something for everyone. Um, Putting these kind of rhythms into our lives allows for the spirit-led reformation of our loves, a recalibration of our hearts, a reorientation of our desires by learning, unlearning all the tacit bearings that we've absorbed from our culture and that drowns out the wonder of the gospel of grace and truth also from Beautiful Resistance by John Tyson. So we starve out the weeds that grow up to distract us from what our souls really crave and enjoy God's good flourishing life. And we learn how to strengthen ourselves in the presence of God. And we make it a habit and it rolls and it rolls until, hang on, here it comes. It overflows. (laughs) Oh, I had color in there, but it hasn't got there yet. We'll see how that goes. This leads me to my final point, encourage. With our hearts fixed on him, our habits tuned to his presence, we strengthen ourselves in the Lord with other people. In community, we're able to love as he loved us, strengthen or comfort those around us with the comfort we've been given. 
do these things with your life group, with your friends, with your kids, with your spouse. I started off, I was the one that Jacinda talked about a while ago about shutting myself in the wardrobe um, in order to get quiet time to pray and not telling my kids when I fasted and practicing completely alone. But as I read more about these things, I'm inspired more and more to do them with others with the obvious, obvious exception of solitude. Um, in fact, our kids in our community need to see how we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Yes. We can bless those around us and encourage each other, stirring one another up toward love and good deeds, Hebrews 10. In fact, going back to David, seven chapters before Ziglag, Jonathan came to David as he was on the run from Saul, um, who was trying to kill him at the time, and it says Jonathan helped him find strength in the Lord. That's 1 Samuel 23, 16. Perhaps the story would have turned out differently if not for this covenant sacrificial friendship between the actual heir to the throne and the one God chose instead. Um, by the way, not to leave David in despair, after he'd strengthened himself in the Lord, he got up, sought God's will through the prophet and the ephod, went with his 600 men and pursued those who had attacked and stolen. On the way, 200 of his men were too exhausted to continue. So they left them behind and continued on. David, after a day and a half of fighting apparently, recovered everything that was stolen and more. The Bible says not one thing was missing. Um, even though some had grumbled about this, David freely shared the plunder with those 200 who'd stayed behind and also shared it with those who'd helped him in all his wilderness wanderings over the years. This is the flourishing life. This is the overflow and that has abundance even for those who didn't have the strength enough to carry on. Um, then shortly after this re-establishing of his priorities in Ziklag, I'm trying to get the color going, but it's not working, um, <clears throat> David actually became king. So our commission, once we've established who God is and who we are in him, and allowed him access to work and to fill us to overflowing, is to make disciples. That's the great commission. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, where is to share the... Treasures of what God's given us with everyone, even the 200 who weren't even there. Um, I love this quote by Madeline Lingle. Um, we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. We need others to light the way, to show the path, to give us courage when we don't have enough for ourselves. And we do the same for those around us. Again, it doesn't have to be hard work, just changing the tone of the things we're already doing. We just have to intentionally make space in the rhythms of our lives where we ask and let people ask us the deep and hard questions. And we're prepared to be authentic and real. And as a teenager at school, we had a chaplain called Pastor Jeremiah, and he was huge, and he had the best Jesus 2000s, and he was really loud, and he would come bowling up to you in the hallways. Uh, I was terrified of him. I would try and avoid him at all costs. And he'd say, what has the Lord been speaking to you today? And you, we'd be like, oh. As an introverted, shy 15-year-old, I was like, um, um. But do you know what? I always had an answer ready because I knew he was going to ask. Um, and that is stirring us up towards love and good deeds. Also, in fact, um, Phil and Bron Tate, when they were here, did some teaching with the staff team. And um, that's one of the things that really stood out to me. They mentioned going to meetings, appointments, coffees, dinners, and church preloaded. Meaning you've prayed, you're prepared, you've heard from God before you even show up. 
<clears throat> how amazing would it be if every interaction people had with us left them blessed, encouraged, built up, prophesied over, and given a glimpse of these wide open spaces and flourishing life in God where their spirits can find rest. Now that is a great coffee catch-up. But I think the main way through this level of community happens is in small groups. This is not a paid advertisement. This is why we share our day-to-day lives. We pray with each other. We stand with each other. We laugh with each other and maybe a little bit at each other sometimes. It is in small groups that we learn keys for doing relationships well, tips for wisdom and tips and wisdom for parenting in the seasons and stages where we complain about, I mean, bless and prophesy over our kids and our spouses. We share the journey God is taking us on. Um, So whether it be a coffee connect, an evening get-together, or a group of friends doing a hobby together, I cannot stress highly enough the importance of these ongoing deep relationships for helping us to live this flourishing life in God's wide open spaces. Through our life group, I've been enriched and blessed more than I can put into words by the fabulous, caring, and real Um, people who are my family. I don't tell them enough how much I appreciate their depth and grace and love and how even when I'm not prepared or particularly organized, uh, we still meet weekly and we have great discussions and Nick saves us from poor theology and God shows up. We have laughed until we've cried, we have wept with and for each other and we've had some great strident and passionate discussions that were not arguments. But I know they have my back and I've got theirs. So if you're not currently part of a life group, Join one. Start one. If Bryce and I can host one, you can too. Talk to Stanley. Um, So basically, these are my roadmaps to finding courage or strengthening myself in the Lord. I'd like to do an experiment with you guys if you're keen. I'd love to take some time now to sit quietly before God and practice the discipline of silence. If I can get the keys to come up though, so it's not so awkward. And let's consider in our own journey and stage where God is calling us to enthrone him to engage with his presence in our daily lives and to encourage those around you. I'll pray first and then let's set a timer for two minutes and practice silence and contemplation and just let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Glorious God, thank you for your presence. Without it, we don't want to leave this place. Teach us how to practice your presence in our everyday lives to make our mundane routines into sacraments of worship. Give us wisdom and grace to create habits that are life-giving and centered on you and your kingdom. Help us to learn to strengthen ourselves in you so that we can live lives of abundant flourishing filled with your peace, your joy, and your hope. Amen.
thanks so much for joining us for today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you are keen to find out a little bit more about us as a church whanau or you'd like to touch base, then you can go to coast.org.nz and there you'll find information about our in-person services, online services, various resources and activities. Enjoy the day and be blessed.